This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. I understand that there is a desire to think that this is all over. I understand that people want to celebrate the end of the pandemic, and there's certainly cause for a lot of optimism here. But I have to tell you all that this thing is not only not over, but until we repudiate what has gone on here, until we actually win the argument against what has been done to this country, the power grab is just put on pause. Why do you think they're leaving some of these rules in place? Why do you think they're engaging in some of these efforts at Soviet-style rewriting of history? So they can bring it all back. When they decide to, you think that they didn't like the power that they had. You don't think that they're going to try to expand upon this for other situations and circumstances. We now live in a country where a governor of a state can effectively say, I think there's a really important reason to restrict your movement, to restrict your breathing, to restrict your life. And you have to just say, sir, yes, sir, or ma'am, yes, ma'am. And that's the end of it. I'm sorry, that's not America. I'm not letting this thing go. We have a fight to win now over what has happened, what they did to us, what was necessary, what wasn't necessary, what worked and what failed. We don't just go forward and let all of this pass because it's not the end of it. It's not the last time. They're not even getting rid of everything. As you know, you currently have to still... Wear a mask, even if you're vaccinated on a plane. Why? Are planes a big note of transmission? Are are people getting them on planes? Vaccinated people getting COVID on planes? Really? Is that what's happening? I don't think so. This is absurd. But there's also a lot of confusion out there because finally they didn't keep pushing in the lockdown extreme direction. And that means that people are thinking about all the different arbitrary aspects of this here is the single worst little lab coat tyrant the health policy stalinist in chief dr anthony fauci about the confusion on the mask policies play three the science that evolved over the last few weeks that prompted the cdc to make the recommendations that people who were vaccinated should feel safe and be able to go indoors and outdoors without wearing a mask relates to the evidence of how effective these vaccines are not only in protecting you against infection but even if you have a breakthrough infection the chances of your transmitting it to someone else is extremely low very very low the problem in the issue is that we don't have any way of knowing who is vaccinated and who's not vaccinated and i think that's where the confusion arises because there are some establishments who are saying well i'm going to have people coming into my establishment my store or what have you some are going to be vaccinated and some are not i'm not going to know the difference some might be infected and might actually have a risk of infecting someone else and under those circumstances it's perfectly reasonable and understandable for the owner of that establishment to say you know we're going to keep the mask mandate up and that's what we're seeing and i think that's causing the confusion because some are maintaining a mask mandate and others are not you should pressure any place that does not anymore have the force of law on its side to drop their mask mandate 
This is important. You should go in. I'm, I'm going to, as of tomorrow, Wednesday, I'm going to walk into places without a mask on. And I'm going to force them to say, put your mask on, sir. And I'm going to say, why? There's no law. There's no rule. So you're just now an establishment that wants to force people to wear masks. This is what I mean by the fight is not over. You're going to see plenty of places. Now, I know if you live, God bless, if you live in a red state or a red part of a state where there are sane human beings who have not all been brainwashed by CNN and are not perma maskers, forever maskers. You're like, Buck, it's your problem, buddy. Well, yes and no. It's my problem. It's the problem of of you know New York City and Denver and Los Angeles and Portland and you know cities that are going to have this for quite some time. Chicago, although actually I got to check and see what the latest on their mandate is. It's also on federal uh, federal property. It's going to be on airplanes. It's going to be on anything that's crossing state lines, buses, trains. And they may just leave that. Look at how absurd airlines are and have been all along with their rules, not just on COVID, just in general. You think that all of a sudden they're going to become reasonable on this issue? You think that all of a sudden the airlines are going to be fair minded about how long they keep in place? This the stupid wear a mask rule that they've had this whole time. It's not over. I mean, I I understand that we all want to exhale literally and breathe free, fresh air. But there are going to be places and people that try to keep this thing going. And it is incumbent upon all of us to actually push back now. We had the force of the state against us, including under the Trump administration. Trump could have been stronger on this issue. That's just reality. Everybody was bending the knee. Now, it's also fair to say that we didn't have all the data. We didn't have the winter that we just went through and that it wasn't as clear that mandates don't do a damn thing. Now it's quite clear. So to be fair to the Trump administration, it was earlier on. And, you know, I'm trying to assess this not as an unfair Monday morning quarterback, but sometimes that's going to happen. But get ready for this. There's going to be a push in some places to get vaccine passports. But as long as we have uh, noncompliance and pushback against it, it won't happen. And yes, the fact of the matter is that people are just going to have to go back to living in a society. They're going to have to go back to living in a world where it is possible that somebody will have a respiratory infection that you can catch and that the state cannot protect you from that. Because as we see from what we've been through the last 15 months, the state has never been able to protect you from that. You know, I've been accusing Fauci all along here of not listening to the science, the science You know, you got to just or else you get a plateau and then a surge. So you got to listen to science. I look at the data and I come to a determination about it. Really, it's the best thing for you, for me to just listen to everything I say. Um, But Fauci walks around with a mask on. Why? In fact, I think it was just yesterday he was photographed outdoors, sunny day in the D.C. area at some event. And he had a big mask on his face outside. Why? He's vaccinated. What is he doing? Well, here you go. He actually has to admit it now. Play four. How has it changed what you do? How has it changed your mask wearing practices? Well, you know, George, I'm obviously careful because, I mean, I'm a physician and a healthcare provider. I am now much more comfortable in, in people seeing me indoors without a mask. I mean, before the CDC made the recommendation change, I didn't want to look like I was giving mixed signals. But being a fully vaccinated person, 
the chances of my getting infected in an indoor setting is extremely low. And that's the reason why in indoor settings now, I feel comfortable about not wearing a mask because I'm fully man, I'm fully vaccinated. Okay, what about the outdoor setting where you were wearing a mask yesterday? It's a security blanket, folks. We can all see it. It's clear. We know. We understand. And then there's the issue. This is why I'm sorry. I understand what? What am I going to? I'll talk to you about some of the other news stories today that are out there. But what's more important than this? If you have children, your children are still expected to run around with a mask on. Your children are still expected to be in the sun this summer at camp, thanks to the CDC, in 90, 95 degree heat running around with a stupid mask on their faces. So we're not done here. I understand we all want to be done, but the lunatic mask lockdowners need to, their ideas need to be defeated and eliminated. Their hysteria, their neuroses has to be overcome. Because you've got people like Fauci advocating for what is effectively mass child abuse. Play two. What's your message to parents this morning whose kids are unvaccinated? Well, the same as Stephanie just mentioned, and that is that the CDC recommendations still maintain that for children who are not vaccinated, obviously, uh, most children are not, 12 to 15 are getting vaccinated, that indoors they should still wear masks. And that's the CDC recommendation. Will that change as we get more and more information, as we get more and more people vaccinated? Certainly, we have to keep up with the evolving situation. George, we're not going to have kids at that age vaccinated for at least several months as we get towards the end of this year and the beginning of next year. An old Democrat bureaucrat jerk advocating for supporting, defending mass child abuse, because that's what masking up children who are not at risk from this disease and do not effectively spread this disease. That's what it is. So as I've been telling you, we're not done. Not even close. Well, okay, close, but we're not done. And there's a lot of fighting left to do here or else not only will there be the Soviet style rewriting of history, but there will also be an effort to bring all of this back. I hear everything you're saying. And I I do think, though, uh, there needs to be some clarity that there are some pockets of the country that may not be ready. Uh, I'm here in Washington. uh, In many ways, I'm here doing Know Your Value interviews, but I am working with a team here. And there was one person on the team who is not vaccinated. I'm wearing a mask around that person. You know, it is Really, if you want to follow the science, then there are times you need to still wear the mask. And that's where I think it gets really confusing as we try and move forward as a country and put this pandemic behind us. The other thing is this pandemic is not behind us globally. And that means that we could run into problems again. You never know. If you're looking at the science and you're looking at breakthrough cases and you're looking at other strains, it's not completely behind us. Dr. Mika is a moron, but that's not a surprise to you. This is the problem, though. People get their they get their news and information from people like Mika Brzezinski, who is essentially a, a, you know, model with a famous last name. That's that's really the the basis that the the origins of her credentials here uh, to talk about anything. Never mind to talk about science and this this notion that there could be breakthrough. Okay, we, we've been through all this. No, no, enough. If, you, if she if she is vaccinated, as she clearly is. 
she's wearing a mask around one person that she knows who's not vaccinated. Does she understand what the statistical reality is here of being over 90 percent protected from infection yourself? And also this other person being at a viral load level and in close contact long enough to infect her. I mean, you're starting to just see how crazy folks have become over this. But they've been like this all along. They've been completely unreasonable. They didn't come down hard in the corporate press on Gavin Newsom when he shut down outdoor dining in California. They didn't come down hard on the left, the Democrats certainly, on Cuomo, the $5 million man, by the way. Governor Cuomo got a $5 million book deal. What do I mean by $5 million? Not $1 million, not $2 million, but $3 million. Oh, okay. No, $5 million, actually. $5 million. I thought it was initially $3 million. It's $5 million for a book that uh, almost no one will read and no one cares about. But why do publishers do this? It's a great way to pay off the people running states like New York, which really matters. Where do you think most of the major publishers are based? New York City. Their offices are not far from where I'm doing this show right now. You can go see them. They have big midtown towers in Manhattan. And they have a way of funneling millions of dollars to a guy who was the worst when it came to the pandemic. Actually, producer Mark, do we have speaking of morning, Joe, now they're willing to say, oh, Cuomo was not was not so good after all. Play that. There's a lot of money, I mean, for a public servant. And I don't I, I don't know that. Things have worked out quite so well. He's under an investigation right now on uh, whether they cooked the books uh, when when it came to nursing home deaths. I, and when I say I don't know, that's me. Uh, that's that's what the kids call uh, these days understatement. That's crazy money. It's crazy money for anyone. And we asked him in real time whenever that book came out last year, when he came on the show, why on God's earth you would write a celebratory book about your leadership while you were still right in the middle of the crisis. And it has not worked out well for him. As you said, the initial decision two marches ago to send patients back into nursing homes, then covering up the number of deaths that were inside those nursing homes. There's also, of course, the sexual harassment investigation in his time as governor. And yet, I don't know how in good faith you could accept the $5 million for a book about your leadership in a crisis when your state, the state of New York, not all through his fault, but it's a truth, had it as bad or worse than anybody else in the country. And the leadership, in many cases, as these investigations are showing and these journalism has shown, has been, frankly, terrible and deadly in many cases. You know, Morning Joe was a show that was a big proponent of. And for the New York and D.C. elites that are the Morning Joe audience, it's never been a big audience, but it's, you know, very important hedge fund managers and politicians that watch the show. That's what we're always told in the media. Uh, They were big proponents of Cuomo. Do you remember Cuomo sexuals? That was a term that became popularized for a while because of how sexy Cuomo was during his press conferences. Do you remember the various... Politicos, writers, authors, pundits who were saying that Cuomo made them all feel so safe, made them all feel so safe. In the early days before we knew anything about this, even I was thinking, well, he's not being overly political. I guess that's you know a good thing. In the early days when he was talking about the need for ventilators and the administration helping. And, but then he went political 
And then we found out he lied and we found out about the nursing home order. We found out about all the disasters. And yet there were still people covering for him. There were still people that were saying, oh, no, let's wait and see. Uh, Cuomo was the worst governor in America during a time of real trial. And he was rewarded for it. Why? Because he's a part of the Democrat system and they reward and take care of their own. As I have always told you, it's one of the big advantages the Democrats have. The apparatus of the left makes sure that they're important fighters, that they're political assassins, that the people that do their dirty work, they always get another job. They always get a payoff. They're always taken care of. They're like mafia hitmen who go to prison and their family is you know, taken care of by the Don. That's the Democrat Party. On the right, we get people that get crushed for doing nothing. And then it's just, yeah, you know, go sell real estate in Montana. See you later. You know, good luck. That's what ends up happening. It's one of the one of the reasons why we lose, folks. I'm gonna, I mean, I like to speak about that with you, honestly. Now, why does the right lose on issue after issue? Why do we lose control of institutions? Why has uh, why have corporations gone woke? Why can't you send your kid to school without being indoctrinated with critical race theory? Why are all elite universities in the country run by leftist loons now? Because we keep thinking that we're playing a game where the objective is neutrality and fair play, and the left keeps playing a game where the objective is control and win. Well, When you're up against that in the long run, which side do you think gets their way more? We can disengage. We can all do what I, I understand the conservative mentality. You know, get off the grid. Don't, don't even deal with it, Buck. Well, then they're really going to be in control of everything. So we have to be honest about this, and, and we have to also see... In what ways do we create an ecosystem for political victory by supporting people who are important to our cause and doing so in every way that we can? Because the left absolutely does that. Look at Cuomo with his five million dollar book deal. Do you know how many books he would have to sell to earn out that advance? Think about that. Do You think people are buying that Cuomo book? I don't think so. Important to share your patriotism and show your love of country these days. And I, I think that one of the best ways you can do it is by displaying a beautiful American flag. Not all flags are the same. Sometimes they get all twisted. They can get torn up if they're not high quality, made from the right materials. And you don't want a flag that gets wrapped around the pole and people can't see it. And you don't want to be dealing with that. So I want you to try Allegiance Flag Supply. Allegiance Flag Supply is an all-American company that makes American flags the way they're meant to be. Bright, beautiful, the red, white, and blue. And they don't shred. They don't tear. They're made from very durable fiber. And they also don't get wrapped around the pole. So they'll display beautifully. We've got Memorial Day coming up. We've got the Independence Day holiday. Now's a great time to get an American flag and get it from a company that's all based here in the USA, the flags are made in the U.S. And in fact, there are seamstresses that are specifically used by Allegiance Flag Supply because they're based here in the States instead of letting this work be done overseas. So the quality of the craftsmanship here is absolutely top flight. And I've got an Allegiance flag right now in my living room. I've just given my parents one to put on their balcony. This is a great flag company. It's all American top to bottom. And it's the kind of American flag you should have in your home or flying out in your yard, off your porch, wherever. Get it in time for Memorial Day if you can. The offer code to use right now is BUCK for 10% off. All you have to do is go to this website, showallegiance.com. 
showallegiance.com. That's showallegiance.com. When you use the promo code BUCK, you'll get 10% off. Go right now. Get a beautiful, all-made-in-America American flag at showallegiance.com. We have to reopen smart. We have to reopen with a cautious eye. But we have to get back to life, and we have to get back to life and living And we have to do it the way New Yorkers do it. We have to do it quickly and robustly. Effective this Wednesday, we're going to adopt the CDC's new guidance and regulations on masks and social distancing for vaccinated people. By the CDC guidance, immunocompromised people and vaccinated people should continue to wear a mask and social distance. But uh, if you are vaccinated, uh, you are safe. No masks, no social distancing. Uh, We're also going to follow the CDC's guidelines that you will still need to wear a mask on public transportation, the subways, the buses, nursing homes, homeless shelters, correctional facilities, schools, and health care facilities. Why are we having this back and forth still? If you're vaccinated, you're safe, but then there are all these places where you're not safe, like schools? What? Why is that the case? What is the basis for this? Has there been a lot of spread in these places? Remember how they shut down restaurants in New York City? And this is true in many cities across the country, but New York is where I am, so it's the city I know the most about in terms, well, in terms of everything, but certainly in terms of COVID policy. Why was there um, not a lot of focus put on the fact that they only thought 1%, which is within the margin of error, 1% of actual transmission of COVID was happening in restaurants, period. But they shut them down for months and months and months. You know, you have to wonder, does that 1% get eliminated even from the COVID total? Or is it, does it just move? Does that transmission just move somewhere else? In the home? In close quarters somewhere? But Cuomo is saying that they'll get rid of this by tomorrow in New York. What's fascinating is that, as expected, there are some states that are just going to be more intransigent on this. And they certainly... You see, see, I think there's a big part of this where they want you to be grateful because if you have to show gratitude for getting back your liberty, your basic freedom, then you look ungrateful the moment you say, you know, hold on a second. Was it really necessary to do all this stuff you guys did to us? Should it really have happened this way? Did you have to do these things? You see? They, they want you to be thanking them for this because then it makes it very difficult. It makes it awkward to turn around and say, what the heck did you idiots do to us? What did you put us through? For what? What benefit did we get out of this? Oh, where's the data? Where's the science on that one? See, now there's going to be a huge fight, and this is what I'm really focusing on today. There's going to be a huge fight over what the lessons are from the pandemic and how we deal with this going forward. Because I want you to be clear on this fact. The apparatus, the Democrat Party, the corporate media, their belief is that they handled this really well. The only problem with the Trump supporters who wouldn't go along with the guidance, they wouldn't mask up enough and mitigate enough. And if it weren't for them, it would have all been under control. We'd be Australia if it wasn't for Trump supporters. That's the narrative from the left. Now, if you actually look at Mask mandates, if you look at California versus Florida, for example, with their lockdown policies, they're wrong, but they don't think so. They think they're heroes. I know this will be a little bit mind blowing, but it is true 
Governor Cuomo of New York justifies everything that he has done in his own head by thinking he really believes, I can, I can guarantee you, that he saved lives. He saved lives. Maybe some lives were lost because of his policies, but far more, you know, that was in the nursing homes, far more lives were saved because of his brilliant leadership. And if that is really your belief, well, then how could anyone challenge you? How could anyone say you're wrong, right? How could anyone come along and tell you that you should leave, resign in disgrace? People think that, that Cuomo is all embattled. Cuomo is Colonel Nathan R. Jessup, United States Marine Corps, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. You need me on that wall. In places you don't talk about at cocktail parties, you need me on that wall, right? That's Cuomo's attitude about him as the governor of New York. And when it comes to nursing homes, he's like, you're, you're gosh darn right I ordered the code red. That's his attitude. Make no mistake about it. He thinks he's the good guy. He thinks he's the hero. And actually, I've heard some military friends say that Jack Nicholson's actually kind of, <laughs> he's, he kind of gets a, a raw deal in A Few Good Men. But back to the way these policies are being, unfold, uh, are being unveiled now, how this is all unfolding. Uh, so Cuomo says they're going to get rid of it. Governor Murphy of New Jersey, right next door here to New York. Oh, California, June 15th from Gavin Newsom. Why June 15th? Why a month from now? Arbitrary. Arbitrary bullcrap. Okay. Well, how are things going in New Jersey with Murphy? Play 13. Why did you decide to go against the CDC guidance and, and keep the indoor mask mandates in place for fully vaccinated people? Good to be with you, Jake. I wouldn't say necessarily against it. We're just not ready yet. We've been clobbered not once, but twice. We've lost over 26,000 people. We know the virus is more lethal indoors. And, and you're asking somebody who's at, at the hardware store working there or in a retail or a grocery store to make the judgment on who's vaccinated, who's not. Uh, we're, we're not there yet. We're close. I think we're, you know, within a, a matter of weeks of getting to a better place. Our density usually helps us, not in a pandemic. We want to make sure we get this right. How would you feel if a business said, uh, if you show proof that you've been vaccinated, you can come into our store or our establishment uh, without a mask? Uh, but if you don't, then then you you won't. I mean, there is an, uh, the idea of an incentive to encourage people to get vaccinated. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'd feel better about that for sure. Uh, but again, I don't think this is this is not remotely forever and always. This is a matter of a couple of more weeks on the clock. Listen, I think we were the first state in America to put in place uh, an indoor masking requirement. We know it's been hugely helpful if we can save only one more life. By waiting a couple of weeks longer, uh, I'll sign up for that. So much wrong in one one statement here. So much wrong from the governor of New Jersey. And the mentality is the same for the governor of Michigan, Whitmer, uh, the governor of Oregon, the governor of California, the governor of New York, the governor of Maryland, the governor, you know, go down the list, governor of Virginia. So much of the same wrongness here. First of all, New Jersey has, I believe, the worst death rate per capita of any state in the U.S. from COVID. So New Jersey is absolute bottom of the barrel with its COVID response by the numbers. So the idea that the governor is forwarding here 
that because they had an indoor mask mandate, people were safer and saved from this is just flatly absurd. What the heck is he talking about? The mask mandate worked so well, Murphy, that you had more people die per capita as a share of your population and your state than anywhere else in America. But that's what? That's a statement of the success of your policies? These people are nuts. But then he gets also to the core of it. Then he gets really to the center of it all. If it saves just one life. This was, this was always the mentality. This was the way they got all of this. They justified all this all along. If it saves just one life. Think of all the policies that you could justify that are onerous, that are absurd, that are annoying, if that were the case. Think of all the frustration, pain, anxiety, difficulty, and loss you could put people through for that. This was, all along, the we should have a 10-mile-an-hour speed limit in this country approach. And some people were willing to go there on COVID. Even, even as annoying, it's not like this is zero-cost stuff. As annoying and frustrating and painful as this is, if it saves just one life, we should do it. An abject fallacy of weak governance, cowardly thinking, and that is his approach. This, you hear this when they want to do something on gun control, though, too. You hear this when, you know, if you, if you, have, to make, if you have to make 10 million gun owners... Uh, you know, wait five days and spend 50 hours of their lives, you know, filling out paperwork and doing nonsense. Um, but it saves maybe one life. Is that worth it? This is what they'll say to you. I mean, you know, people die slipping in the shower. Should we not allow showers? Should we only allow people to have, you know, handheld spritzers to, you know, to shoot water on themselves? No more showers because people die in the shower. We could do this all day. This is a pathway to insanity. You understand this, right? And it's one that they put the country on because it was a way to justify for the weak willed and the weak minded. It was a way to justify absolute control during a time of heightened anxiety and risk to the American people. You can never be woke enough. That's the problem. It keeps going. It keeps right. going further and further and further down the line. And if you get to the point where you capitulate, where you agree to all these demands, it will eventually get to straight white men are not allowed to talk. Right. Because it's your privilege to express yourself when other people of color have been silenced throughout history. It, it will be you're not allowed to go outside because so many people were imprisoned for so many years. I mean, I'm not joking. No, I know. I know. It really will get there. It's that crazy. You yeah. Know, we just got to be nice to each other, man. And th there's a lot of people that are taking advantage of this weirdness in our culture, and then that becomes their thing. Their thing is calling people out for their privilege, calling people out for their position. It's about power. Joe Rogan is totally right here. And because it is about power and the left can never have enough, there is no limiting principle to wokeness. There is no limiting principle. There's, there's no framework in place for it other than whatever works, whatever gets it done. They create a narrative and the narrative is, is essentially that there are endless amounts of and, and, and different representations of oppression in society, specifically American society. And that means that you can always make a case that individuals are not to be held to account based upon their action, and what they do. But their group identity is the identifier for them. Their group identity is what really matters. 
and they are held either up or down based upon that. And the most important thing is to hold down those who are in this narrative, the oppressors, meaning straight white males, and elevate others, although not all in the same way. You'll notice with the uh, with the removal of standardized testing from the University of California system. So now SAT, ACT, California schools, Berkeley, UCLA, US, uh, no, USC is private, uh, Berkeley, UCLA and other, you know, UC San Diego, all these different UC schools. Um, they can't they cannot look at your SATs. So what that is going to do, that's going to disadvantage by the numbers. A lot of children of Vietnamese immigrants, children of Chinese and Korean immigrants who disproportionately do very well on the SAT. Same situation here plays out in New York City at a school called Stuyvesant. Well, it's really the three flagship schools for New York City, Stuyvesant, Bronx Science and Brooklyn Tech. You take a straight up exam exam of academic ability. And it's very similar to an SAT, but for eighth graders to go into high school, you take that exam and then whoever gets a certain number, that's it. The, you get the number you're in. I got into Stuyvesant story for another time, but you take that. You take the test. You get in. You can go. And they keep saying that this is unfair and they never really explain why it's unfair other than look at the numbers. Some groups do better than others. And you say, well, wh- how do we address this fairly to the people that do have the merit while making this a, a question about societal impact or historical grievance or anything else? It's just there are no limiting principles here. It's just about power. Using victimization and using the the rhetoric of historic injustice and oppression in order to victimize, actually, people today and to take away from them, to undermine them, not based upon any objective standard, but based upon the preferred narrative of the left. It is racial Marxism. That's what this is. Right. You go to the heart of Marxist theory and it's that there's this this system of oppression through capitalism that was holding people down and exploiting them, that all profit is theft, that all labor for wages is inherently exploitation. There's no benefits from this. It is just a system that is, you know, the the continuation, the the next tier, the continuation of serfdom in Europe, which was a quasi slave status where people were tied to the land. And you could say, yeah, they could go somewhere else, but they would starve. We're talking about medieval, uh, medieval serfdom now. And so then capitalism is a continuation of that same mentality of oppression and and uh, dictatorial power over the lives of people and their families. And so what Marx was saying is we're going to create a society where there'll be a dictatorship of the proletariat that the workers would inherently somehow just be wiser, better. I mean, there, there's all this worker worship when you look at the writings of Lenin and, and Stalin. And yes, Stalin did a lot of writing, too. People don't know this or forget this. Stalin was actually, for a time, the editor of Pravda, the premier Bolshevik uh, newspaper inside what, what became the Soviet Union. And Stalin did a, a lot of writing. Stalin was a journalist, for those who are wondering. Stalin was a community activist and a journalist. Those were really, and a bank robber. Those were his professions before he was in the Central Committee of the Soviet Union. Uh, and then, of course, became the premier and, 
and the dictator and the one of the most monstrous tyrants of all history, certainly in the top three of all history. And we look at this now and we see that it's all happening exactly if you have an understanding of critical race theory as racial Marxism, everything we see going on in our society makes sense. They're dividing people. They're creating animosity, but it's animosity that's not tied to individual action. So you can't really do anything about this. You just have to submit to the narrative of victimology that is being infused all throughout society. And there are people who are elites who benefit from this because as long as people are looking at each other saying, hold on, my ethnic group, your ethnic group, we're getting this, you're getting that. They're not saying, hmm, are we really just running a system here where the inflation of uh, of assets through central bank manipulation keeps the rich richer than ever before and involve, you know, we're not looking at that stuff anymore. We're not looking at how. Uh, American companies making money by offshoring and sending jobs overseas while benefiting from being an American company and having access to and recourse to our courts and our markets, that that's exploitative and a betrayal of American values. You know, we, we don't think about those things. So the elites, the ultra rich, the woke, they're happy to have people marching around for BLM. And not thinking about what's really happening in the economy and who's really in control of the power structure. As a result of our prompt action to roll out the vaccine and boost the economy, we've gone from stagnation to an economy that is growing faster than it has in nearly 40 years. We've gone from anemic job creation to a record of creation for more for a new administration. None has ever created this many jobs in this time frame. The progress is undeniable. But we're not done yet. And some of the hardest work is ahead. You know, we've got a great economy. And, you know, just slogan, slogan, boilerplate, euphemism, euphemism. Uh, you know, a little more broad nonsense. Something about workers, unions, jobs. It's about jobs, folks. This guy's been giving the same dumb speech for 40 years. You know that, right? It's just we come together and you just shut up and do what my Democrat puppet masters want you to, you know, then maybe we'll send you more checks in the mail at some point in the future that your grandkids will pay for. But by that point, I'll be gone. (laughs) There you go. Leader of the free world. This is straight out of the I mean, the Obama playbook now, the Biden playbook, but straight out of the Obama playbook. To say that this economy, which has now 4% uh, consumer price index inflation, uh, rapidly rising gas prices. I know some of this was colonial pipeline, but it was rising before then. And the colonial pipeline fiasco shows that our our real economic weak, weak point when it comes to energy is fossil fuels, as in we need more and we need redundant access and better supply. We should have a total embrace of American fossil fuels. America as the world's fossil fuel superpower is essential to our actual status as global superpower. In fact, here, here's Senator James Langford pointing out that this this liberal hatred of pipelines is just it's delusional. This is not based in any reality, kind of like the double maskers after vaccination. Play 19. We have a gas pipeline that has gone down to a ransomware attack. 
it reminded me again of how important gas pipelines are all over our nation. And it's interesting to me that on day one, one of the first things that President Biden did was he stepped in and ended the Keystone Pipeline moving through here and is now actively working to be able to shut down all pipeline construction around the country. Can I remind Americans, especially Americans on the East Coast, what it means to lose a pipeline? When the president says we're not going to do more pipelines, that means we have no redundancy. That if a pipeline goes down, there's not an additional backup one in construction to be able to get there. It's better to have multiple pipelines in an area so if one goes down, you've still got other fuel supplies. What if this pipeline had actually been a larger scale issue even than a ransomware attack, as bad as that is? This whole fight that we're having about pipelines suddenly makes sense to a whole lot of folks on the East Coast that can't get gasoline. Pipelines are not evil. Pipelines are moving energy across the country, and it's the least expensive, safest way to be able to move that energy across the country. It absolutely is, and yet Democrats still cling to their environmentalist, green, loon left on this issue. And I, I want to be very clear that they're un... You know, I, I'll use this term a lot. We're talking about Democrats. They are unserious on so many of these matters. The White House, this was just yesterday in The Hill. White House environmental justice advisors express opposition to nuclear and carbon capture projects. I can say this to you unequivocally, that if you really want to get rid of carbon emissions without massive reductions to quality of life and standard of living, and I mean way more expensive products, heating of homes, travel. I, I mean, enormous depletion of wealth, not for rich people, particularly for those who don't have a lot of resources. If you want to really lower carbon emissions and you are opposed to nuclear energy, you are unserious, Libs, unserious. It's not even worth listening to all your other, blah, 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 let's build, let's build more windmills, blah, blah. It's garbage. It doesn't mean anything. It's just that. It's just claptrap. Fun word to say. And uh, they're opposed to carbon capture projects as well. This is the White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council. This is a bunch of social justice libs who don't know a damn thing about energy. But the White House has to do the whole, oh, let's have our Environmental Social Justice Council come in and talk to us about this stuff. Absurd. Absurd. I mean, Biden has actually promoted a carbon capture tax credit in his infrastructure plan, infrastructure, you know, trillions of dollars they plan on spending. Now, I think carbon capture is stupid. <laughs> OK, that's a whole other thing. I, it's worthless. The world is warming. It's OK. We're going to survive. There's no catastrophe coming. That's reality. There, and, you know, I'm going to keep saying this every year. I'm going to be giving I'm going to be giving the same, you know, words of wisdom on this in 20 years doing this radio show, hopefully. And I'm going to be right then. And there will the people that are saying now that in 10 years, it'll be too late and it's all over. We're going to have catastrophic warming. Guarantee you in 20 years, they'll be saying, oh, my gosh, in 10 more years, we'll be past the point of no return. And we'll have to sit there and listen. And we'll have to pat, you know, middle aged AOC on the head and say, yeah, sure, sure. That's great. Really, really intelligent commentary. Ah. <sighs> Not just her, so many libs. I mean, there's all over the place. I mean, the Democrats really believe this. This is an article of faith for them, like double masking after vaccination. The world is going 
They call it an existential threat. We all know what the word existential means, right? It's an existential threat. The the Secretary of Defense, this guy, Gen, uh, I keep saying general, he's now, you know, SecDef Austin, Secretary of Defense Austin. He says climate change is an existential threat to the United States. The biggest challenge we face. This is the guy who's the head of our military. I mean, what are we going to do? We, we going to start firing hellfire missiles at clouds? Take that cloud. You're blocking the sun and changing the temperature. We just start, you know, firing off mortar rounds at plumes of smoke coming out of factories. No more CO2. What are we doing? What's wrong with these people? And I know you could say, well, the White House doesn't have to listen to the Environmental Justice Council or whatever for. But then why have them? And they will get pushed on this issue. They're not going to do nuclear. Democrats won't. Democrats won't do nuclear. Won't do it. Um, because it would work. And how do you get all these, how do you create all these green new jobs to build windmills and solar panels if you're going to be doing, you know, nuclear is a very specific thing. People to work in a nuclear plant requires actual expertise and real training. But yes, it's, it's a viable alternative to much of our energy needs, could provide for our energy needs. And if it wasn't for the environmentalist left, who really slowed and even shut down nuclear plant production for decades in this country based upon irrational fear. You know, the double masking, uh, the double masking Fauciites of the 70s were also concerned that nuclear power was going to destroy the world unless they shut it all down. Well, now they're concerned that CO2 from our other energy sources is going to destroy the world. And we realized, you know, we should have just had nuclear all along. But they listen to the science, whatever that means. Back to Biden here. I got a little distracted from a Biden on how we have this really rapidly rising, growing economy. This is, as I said, straight out of the Obama playbook. Everything that Obama did in the economy for the first two years of his presidency, they would point to the worst month of job losses in a, you know, a cyclical recession that was the worst since the Great Depression in this country. They would point to that and say, see how much better we are than that? As if that justifies everything that they were doing. But it's really a psychological trick here. You know, it's, it's really a, a trick of the propagandist. You know, I could, I could go and, and, you know, drive around a race car track a few times, and if I was racing against somebody who was a NASCAR driver, they're going to kick my butt and go a lot faster than me. But, you know, let's say that they had a tire blowout, and it was no fault of their own, and they, they ran into the side railing or whatever, and they, their, their car got totaled. And then I just keep driving around in circles saying, see, I'm, I'm a much better driver than that guy. Well, it's like, well, not a better driver than him. There was a one unforeseen accident. I know, I'd like to think that I could beat a NASCAR driver, in, but I, I, I'm, I live in the real world. I know I have no chance. I'm not even that. I, see, unlike a lot of people, I don't have delusions about what a great driver I'm like, I just drive to get places safely and comfortably. I'm not... I don't think I'm the fastest. So many people I know think they're the fastest driver. What does that even mean? What are you like speeding 100 miles an hour in a, in a 55 and think that that's a good idea? I don't, know. I don't know. A lot of you are like, yeah, Buck, I drive fast. I drive pretty fast, too. But you get my point about the NASCAR driver. That's what they do. They point to the absolute worst moment in in a, you know, in an aberrant uh, fashion, something that just came out of the blue. And then they say, oh, but look at how much better we are than that. COVID lockdowns created a massive contraction of GDP, loss of jobs, and all the rest of it. All you have to do to stop that 
is distribute vaccines, reopen the economy. But this is what I've said all along. They're in a very advantageous position because they're going to look at numbers from a year ago and numbers, you know, they're going to look at the numbers in May of 2020 and May of 2021 and say, see how much better we're doing. Look at these great Biden policies. And people can know if they think about it. Well, it has nothing to do with the Biden policies. But is that going to convince enough people? Is everyone going to recognize that? No. It's Obama administration 3.0. They're even using the same tricks. They're, in some ways, it's, it's even easier for them, too, because they just let the apparatus do so much. You know, Obama was always out there giving speeches, and we're all supposed to worship at the altar of Obama's greatness and all that. With Biden, they don't even really pretend. He just kind of walks around muttering, and then the people really making the calls, that's what they're doing. Last week, the CDC announced that if you're fully vaccinated, you no longer have to wear a mask. They reported that science, the science now shows that your vaccination protects you as well as being masked or better than being masked. So you can protect yourself from serious illness from COVID by getting vaccinated or wearing a mask until you're fully vaccinated. Either way, you're protected. As I said last week, some people may want to continue to wear a mask, even if they're fully vaccinated. That's a decision they can make. Some businesses may want to continue to require wearing masks. Let's all be kind and respectful to one another as we come out of this pandemic and respect those who want to continue to wear a mask, even if they've been vaccinated. Above all, let's work together, though, to meet the target, I've said, of 70 percent of adults, all adults, with at least one shot by July the 4th. Were they kind and respectful, the lockdowners, the mask maniacs? You know that I, I am a proponent and it's probably not good for, you know, for ratings and for getting attention. But I'm a proponent of treating people decently and not being a jerk. Other people, it seems, build their brands on just being nasty and yelling and being uh, constantly vicious to everybody, including people on their own side, just because that's how they get attention. And I, I don't do that. It's not who I am. I don't like that stuff. That said, I also will fight when I have to. I also believe that. Being a guy who's willing to throw down sometimes about the truth and about what's really going on is critical, is essential. And I'm sorry, but it's it's a little bit much to, to take right now for there to be this whole, OK, so we can't just keep your mask forever, but be nice to the loons out there. Be nice to the emotionally, psychologically fragile folks who are going to keep double masking, maybe even wearing goggles for months, maybe even years to come mm, now. I'm I'm just going to say this. I think that we should have a, a ban on outdoor masks in states that really do follow the science and everything else, because I think it is a public uh, safety risk, not having nothing to do with the virus. This already exists in some places before anyone starts yelling. me, That's crazy. They already have this. Of course, you shouldn't be able to cover up your face in public. What if you commit a crime? What if you do something? What if you steal? Why, why should everyone walk around like they're a bank robber? That's not OK shouldn't be covering your face for no reason in public. People should be able to see who you are. It's important for basic human connection. So I don't just want the withdrawal of mask mandates by state and local authorities. I want a ban on outdoor masks and indoor masks um, in, in places across the country. That's what I want. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to get it, but some places might do it. And then that brings me to 
So, yeah, look, look, we're not maniacs. I'm not saying go start an argument with somebody that's masking up outside or something. Obviously, leave people, you know, we, we're, we're you listen to this show. You're a good person because you, you know what we stand for here. And say so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not advocating to be, don't be them. Don't be a mask loon in the other direction. That said, I think that businesses that are that are requiring masks going forward, you should have your you should have your voice heard now. Really? You're going to make me mask up? Why? Okay, you make them tell make them make you do it. Don't just comply preemptively. Walk in and say we have a mask mandate here still why? What's the problem? I I think that's a good approach. Now, be polite. It is a private establishment. Be respectful, but make them explain it to you. Because that's only fair. This is now reasonable. You think this is reasonable even after the CDC has said it is not? It is not reasonable anymore. So let's have them explain to you why. And, and you're going to see there are a lot of people that just, oh, it's a security blanket. Oh, gosh. Friends, do you think that I would have been so opposed to this, uh, to these mandates all along, if I, really, if I really believed that these things did a damn thing? If I thought that this was saving, and if the, the actual data supported this, it does not, which they will never admit, it does not support that masks are an effective way of protecting yourself from COVID-19. When I say effective, that means largely effective. Okay? I, I, what they're eventually going to do is fall back on, oh, it's, you know, 1% to 3% effective, and that's all we need, and if it saves one life, and that's not how we got to this point. All right? And, you know, if I told you that a condom was 1% effective in preventing you know, uh, STDs or something or preventing pregnancy, you'd say that's not effective. You wouldn't say, oh, but one in a hundred people will be protected, right? That's what they're doing to us now, though. They're changing the standard so dramatically. So, you know, they're saying you better always use that 1% prophylactic, 1% effective prophylactic device. It's the best we've got. Well, it's also annoying. So uh, I, I do think that this is, this is where we're heading and and I'm, I'm telling you that the mask, uh, the mask for me in New York, it's coming off tomorrow because that's I'm in New York State, New York rules coming off tomorrow. And that's that off. See you later. I want to hear about anyone hear any of this nonsense anymore. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to get grief from people on it. And you know what, what about in, in taxis or in cars, you know, in Ubers, things like that? Uber is still going to require Uber is going to require this for the foreseeable future because it's, it's a lib company run by lunatics. A lot of these places are going to have people that are, oh, we're going to wear masks. Oh, it's because for them, it's the Biden-Harris symbol of 2021. You know, you wear a mask because you're a Democrat, a Biden-Harris voter. So you're one of the good people. Even when the CDC says there's no reason to do it. Well, now the reason is to show your political allegiance. So, uh, But I, I think it's so interesting that Biden's appealing to be nice to people. Were they nice to non-maskers for the last year and change? No, they were not. They were vicious psychos, and I have not forgotten that. Should kids be forced to get vaccinated for COVID before they go to school? That's a contentious topic, isn't it? It's one with a lot of competing values, a lot of different opinions. And for people, it's very important and also very hotly contested. Do you think that you can share your thoughts on mandatory vaccination for children for COVID without being suppressed, whether shadow banned or outright banned? No, you can't. Because big tech has come down hard on you, on conservatives, on people who believe 
in free speech. So instead of just caving to their silencing tactics, why don't you take a step to protect your privacy and your security online with a virtual private network? Because when you use ExpressVPN, which is the best virtual private network out there, it hides your IP address to anonymize a lot of your online presence. This means that big tech can't target you the same way, one, to sell your information, but also to suppress what you're doing and who you're communicating with. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your network data to protect you from eavesdroppers and cyber criminals, which if you ever use public Wi-Fi is a big problem, something you have to take very seriously. ExpressVPN is rated number one by CNET and Wired. If you care about privacy and security online, you need this app. It's so easy to download and set up for your laptop, your smartphone, whatever electronic devices you're using. Revoke big tech's right to your data and to silencing your ideas. Secure your internet with the VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck to get three extra months free with my exclusive link on a one-year package. expressvpn.com slash buck. We've been working intensively behind the scenes to try to bring an end to the conflict. Israel has the right to defend itself. There is no equivalence between a terrorist group indiscriminately firing rockets at civilians and a country defending its people from those attacks. So we call on Hamas and other groups in Gaza to end the rocket attacks immediately. End the rocket attacks. No equivalency between what a terrorist group does and a state defending itself. What can we uh, what can we take from where this Conflict is going right now. How does it look like it will get to a conclusion, a ceasefire, hopefully? We've got our friend, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, with us now. He is the president for the London Center for Policy Research and a retired DOD operative. Tony, always good to have you. Hey, Buck, always a pleasure to join you, and uh, thanks for having me on to talk about this. So the, the back and forth here between Hamas and the IDF, it really does seem like Hamas gets the gets by far the the worst of the situation, if you will. I mean, Hamas is getting is getting pounded now. Their missile sites are getting hit. They aren't in any kind of 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 place to even exact or extract the kind of uh, punishment that they want against the Israelis. So how long do you think, Tony, they can continue this before it's clear even to those who support Hamas within Gaza that this was was all effectively just making everything worse for everyone. Well, I think that's the issue is that it needs to be put a, a permanent stop needs to be put to it. I mean, you have in this case, uh, Buck, something that most of the media won't talk about, about one seventh of those rockets that Hamas has fired failed and killed their own people. I don't know. I don't think killing your own people is a good idea, but I'm not there. And then you put on top of that the damage this has caused uh, b- between uh, uh, the, the Palestinian Authority and those who, who are willing to help it. And I think they've taken a, a position where the Iranians have uh, jumped back in. Uh, I believe we're going to come to find that most of those rockets were produced by the Iranians. And this all may well have a, an effect on the Abraham Accords. Uh, so I think there's some larger issues here we need to examine. With that said, uh, Secretary Blinken, I think, uh, is re- they're reluctant to jump in. The Biden administration is reluctant to jump in with the, the, the Israelis to the necessary level. However, 
It was announced yesterday there's a seven, uh, $7 million plus sale of weapons to the, the Israelis, which I'm sure is going to drive certain Democrats crazy. Uh, it's, so I got to tell you, it, it appears to me that our side, the United States, is not being definitive in this. We're actually only adding to the chaos by kind of not jumping in to help and then kind of jumping in to help and being very weak and, and demanding that Hamas cease this. And one of the key issues I think you and I have spoken about before, Hamas is still trying to destroy the Jewish state. They, they will not accept the Jewish state. So as long as you have that level of animus involved, there's really going to be no resolution unless the Israelis decide they're going to essentially remove all uh, terror capabilities of, of Hamas, and that's all within the Palestinian Authority area. You're a guy who understands the tactical picture very well, Tony, yeah. uh, and I just wanted to bring to your attention this story. It's gotten it's picked up in the Daily Mail, a lot of places, and here's what it says. A bombed-out car in the Gaza Strip has sparked speculation that Israel has developed its own version of America's six-bladed ninja missiles. The car was blown up in a strike by the Israeli Air Force on Tuesday to the west of Gaza City in an attack the IDF said targeted operatives of a Hamas suicide submarine. Video of the strike shows the driver's side of the car being struck by a missile which blows out the windows and doors, but otherwise leaves the vehicle intact as it rolls to a stop on a nearby roundabout. I mean, I'm looking at a photo of this right now, Tony, this car, and it, it, it does not look like a bomb went off inside the car. What, what can you tell us about the publicly available side of ninja missiles? Yeah. So it's uh, it's physics, Buck, physics. It's just basically you take an explosive charge, you fire off a rocket. The rocket is primarily uh, a heavy object. It's like getting slugged by a big shotgun shell. Uh, basically, it's the kinetic energy that kills people, and that way you minimize loss of life. I mean, our weapons, and you know this, this is no secret, our weapons are so precise now. I mean, you're talking about being able to hit something uh, from miles away with a, a precision down to, to millimeters. And so that's one of the things that U.S. weapon makers have taken advantage of. Well, it's not been publicly, I think, uh, shown to be the, to, to the level it, it could be. Uh, we have very precise kinetic weapons uh, that can be used to essentially take out very small targets. And so, yeah, it's, I think it's a good I, I would think that most people would think this is a good thing that they can have this level of precision. I think the Israelis have developed their own suite uh, that allows for their military to go after uh, individual targets rather than group targets. And uh, in, a, in a heavily urban environment, it's a good thing to have to, to be able to do. And exactly what you said, they can hit a, hit a guy in a, in a car, probably only killing him and leaving others around them if it's so desire, desire to not be killed, to, to leave him alone. As the Wall Street Journal describes the so-called ninja missile, quote, a modified version of the well-known Hellfire missile, the weapon carries an inert warhead. Instead of exploding, it is designed to plunge more than 100 pounds of metal through the tops of cars and buildings to kill its target without harming individuals and property close by. To the targeted person, it is as if a speeding anvil fell from the sky. But the uh, but this version of the Hellfire missile designated the R9X also comes with a different kind of payload, a halo of six long blades that are stowed inside and then deployed through the skin of the missile seconds before impact to ensure that it shreds anything it tracks. End quote. Tony, ouch. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's also usable the, as a Ginsu knife to slice up sushi afterwards. Just saying, it's a it's a multiple berry. It's like a Swiss Army knife, if you will. Got a lot of things you can do with it, but it's, it's right. it does raise this issue though of how technology and the tactical. And we're speaking, of Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, former DoD operative, and uh, Tony, your book was uh, Operation Darkheart, right? Right. Yes, correct. It was about my time in Afghanistan as part of our effort to go into Pakistan to take out uh, Zawahiri and the bad guys. And as you probably remember, the politics did not permit us to go chase the bad guys into Pakistan. Imagine that. And this was the book also that was cleared, and then they uncleared it after they cleared it, and then they tried to take the copies, right? I remember this. Yeah, no, they, they cleared, the Army cleared it. Where it, was, it was printed. Then uh, spokes in DOD lied, said there was operative names in it. They, they, there was no operative names in it, undercover folks. And they just they bought the first 10,000 copies, forced us to, uh, to redact everything, and turn it into a New York Times bestseller. I'm still grateful for all of the free publicity, Buck, that the Pentagon gave me on this. It remarkable. Really I mean, what, a, what a remarkable story. So they, <laughs> they clear it, then they buy your first printing fully, and then they re-clear it. <laughs> I mean, that's I got to tell you, Tony, if you could have scripted it out, there's no better PR you could get for a book than the DOD buying all of your first copies and then re-releasing it afterwards with, you know, with no real redactions to speak of. But uh, we're speaking to Lieutenant Colonel Tony Shapier and and, uh, Tony, you know, the tactical advantage that the Israelis, uh, the technological and tactical advantage the Israelis have seems to be, I, I think it's important for everyone to understand, if it weren't for Iron Dome, if it weren't for what could be a version of the Israeli, uh, the Israeli, nin- Israeli version of our so-called ninja missile, if it weren't for their ability to track on intel uh, the suicide submarine that just got hit, I mean, they, they could completely terrorize and, and do tremendous damage because they're right next door to Israeli cities with these missiles and rockets they're firing. I, mean, I think people have to remember that it's only because the IDF is as adept as it is that the casualties on the Israeli side are as low as they are. Right. So uh, some of this is directly creditable to the United States. Uh, the, the initial technology for the Iron Dome came out of the INF, I mean, out of the, uh, the so-called Star Wars SDI program. Uh, one of our senior fellows and board members, Ambassador Hank Cooper, was part of that. And uh, that technology was developed to its ultimate end right now, which actually is very effective. And let's remember, Buck, uh, like you point out, if it wasn't for that defense, you would have a situation similar to uh, to the V1 and V2s uh, in, uh, in in London during World War II. I mean, uh, rockets fired at a civilian population is a, an immensely effective terror weapon. And fortunately, because the Israelis have been uh, given and maintained the technology edge, they're able to protect, I'd say, a close, uh, closely about 90, 95, 96 percent of their of their people from that threat. With that said, uh, they should not be in this position. They should not be in a position of having to use advanced technology to simply defend their civilian population. And uh, it's it's incredible that we have done not done more. I think the Trump administration did, but the current administration has already kind of backed off and is not actively doing much at all to try to prevent foreign influences like the Iranians from jumping in there. Remember, the Iranians uh, are, are out to create as much chaos in the region, I think they're going to probably go and try to get Hezbollah to start acting up next. I believe Hamas is is, uh, is actively part of that. So the Israelis have to defend themselves, essentially, not just against Hamas, but against the Iranians as well. Yeah, six rockets fired from Lebanon, which means 
Hezbollah uh, right. folks, for the folks out there, fell short of the Israeli border. The IDF hit back with artillery strikes in response to where those rockets came from. But that's that's Hezbollah doing, uh, a, you know, a, a little bit of of testing the Israeli defense perimeter, I think. Do you, do you feel like, Tony, right now, this situation with Israel, the IDF and, and these uh, terrorist entities like Hamas in the region, are we is the momentum heading toward a ceasefire is the or is the momentum for expansion and continuation of the conflict right now? Well, the Biden administration is definitely pushing for the ceasefire. And I, I'll say this now, I may get in trouble for it. If I were the Israelis, I would not consider it for at least a week. Uh, I think uh, a combination of very precise uh, counterterrorism operations to go after leadership, as well as uh, some level of conventional force uh, used to go in and, and try to, to identify, uh, seize, destroy, and prevent the firing of those missiles is what, what I would do if I were them. And I would make a point. I would go in and I would occupy some of these places and remind people, first off, they didn't start it, but they're going to finish it. And secondly, when they finish it, they're going to have to make sure that there's an understanding that there's going to be peace. It has to be done with an acceptance of the state of Israel's right to exist. And that's something I would uh, punctuate uh, any any conclusion with, is that uh, whatever happens, they have to accept that. Otherwise, I don't see the point of any ceasefire at this point. Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, President London Center for Policy Research. Uh, Tony, where should folks go to see what you're up to at the London Center? So LondonCenter.org, we're doing a 82 Candles tribute to our founder, Dr. Herb London. Uh, We're doing a lot of stuff uh, regarding investigations, accountability, and all that. So we always welcome support from uh, all those who follow our work. Thank you for having me, Buck. Tony Schaefer, everybody. Tony, thanks so much. Thank you. I think it's real, and I think it's deeply problematic as an American first, not just a a, a Democrat. I'm a very strong supporter of Israel myself. Of course, I served a president, Bill Clinton, who's a very strong supporter of Israel and who advanced the peace process. I think that's the way to do it. But you're right. There are young. There's there's a generational divide in the Democratic Party. Younger Democrats who I think have really never known Israel except in the persona of Benjamin Netanyahu. And Netanyahu took a huge gamble and and insulted Barack Obama, insulted Joe Biden, and really cozied up to Trump. And older guys like me remember and and maybe know more of the history of what a stalwart, terrific ally Israel is for America, no matter who the leader is. I mean, I still loved America when Donald Trump was a president. I still love Israel, even though I don't agree with Mr. Netanyahu. In fact, our viewers should know I, I went to Israel in 2015 and worked for the opposition against Bibi Netanyahu. But I think you're right. There's a there's a generational divide where younger Democrats are much less supportive of Israel. Isn't that foreign meddling in an election, by the way? That's Paul Begala on CNN, longtime CNN flack. I went to Israel to work to defeat Benjamin Netanyahu. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not under the impression. I don't believe Paul Begala is a is a citizen of the state of Israel. I could be wrong. But isn't that foreign meddling in the election? And even if you had dual citizenship, wouldn't that still be foreign meddling in the election, really? I mean, at some level, right? Paul Begala is not an Israeli. What is he doing over there? Oh, you're saying he's a paid consultant? Oh, okay. Well, is that is that now the new standard? You can be uh, tied into the American political class and go somewhere. As long as someone's paying you to do it, you can go and try to work to the defeat of one candidate or another in a foreign country. It's, a, it's an interesting gray area, isn't it? But yes, you do have, because of the intersectional insanity of the modern Democrat Party, you have all of these different 
uh, figures, all these different people who really hate Israel, right? I mean, there are, uh, you know, part, part of the Democrat left's embrace of victimology and the narrative of, of the most victimized groups all over the world. They're very, they pick and choose, though, because it's usually, it, it, if it, it has to fall in the narrative of white oppression in some capacity or else they're not as interested, like, they don't really care about the Chinese oppression of Uyghurs because the Chinese are doing it. So there's far less interest in that. Uh, they, they don't really care about the uh, persecution of Christians in Pakistan, uh, where there are grenade bombings of churches that have happened numerous times in recent years. And Christians are constantly under threat and assault from, you know, Islamists in Pakistan. They don't care about that. You, you look at oppression around the world. It has to be, you know, for, for it to really get the left excited, it has to be white male oppression of some other group, preferably white male Christian oppression. But they'll take white male Judeo-Christian, right, or, or you know, Jewish or Christian oppression of, of another group. And then that falls into the narrative. I mean, here here is Ro Khanna, usually a pretty rational guy, at least, who's trashing Netanyahu's response. Play 10. Yeah, the president says he's going to be speaking to the Israeli prime minister. You obviously, from what you're telling me, sounds like you believe the administration uh, and the U.S. has leverage over Israel. What do you want him to say to the prime minister when that phone call happens? Stop it. End the violence. Have a ceasefire. And he needs to have the same message to Hamas that, that we need a ceasefire. And I believe if the president says that, the violence will end. I know that because Netanyahu is out there saying that he has a blank check from the United States. That's what he's saying. He says he's, this is going to go on for more time uh, and that the United States is with him. No, we're not. There are many members of Congress, including supporters of the U.S.-Israel relationship, like myself and others, who are saying that Netanyahu does not have a blank check. And he's doing this by all accounts, including Thomas Friedman's column this morning, simply to hold on to power. This is not uh, in the furthering the security interests of Israel or the people or either Palestine or Israel. This is a member of Congress who's acting like Netanyahu's firing the rockets at Israel to shoot them down. What the heck is what is he even talking about? But the left is deranged on so many issues. Unfortunately, this is another one these days. Are Marxists infiltrating the United States military? Have they already? Has their ideology become something that is now a part of left wing indoctrination for our armed services. We've got veteran and uh, correspondent for One American News Network, Jack Posobiec, with us now. Jack, great to have you, man. Tell us just for backstory here to bring us up to speed about what happened with Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lomer of Space Force. That's right. Uh, Lohmeyer, rather. Lohmeyer. Right, right. So Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer, uh, you got a guy here. He's was a commanding officer of a unit at Buckley Air Force Base in Colorado. Um, I believe they're changing that to an, a Space Force base, but I think it's still Air Force Base right now. Um, he's one of these guys who had been an Air Force Academy grad, um, but it all, had been working in Space Command. Then with the reunification of, and the codification really, of Space Force, he became a Space Force officer, was recently placed as the commanding officer of a unit that detects ballistic missile launches from space. So when the Iranians are up to something, when the North Koreans, whoever it is, Chinese, are up to something. He's using the assets of Space Force to be able to protect us, to find out what's going on, aid in our ballistic missile defense as a nation. 
Now, he wrote a book very recently and self-published it talking all, all about Marxism that he has identified as gaining a foothold in our military. And specifically, he talks about in his book, and he mentioned this in an interview just uh, just recently, that the Department of Defense under Secretary Austin has put forward and announced that we are to hold a stand down day calling out any extremist ideology within our forces that discerns to divide and inflame anyone within the force. So to his view, calling out Marxism and the Marxist principles uh, of critical race theory are a huge part of that. He says, as a force, we, you know, we always stand up against discrimination. And most importantly, we all swear an oath to the United States Constitution, our founding documents, which critical race theory and other Marxist theories have directly targeted. Because of this book, Buck, he was relieved of command on Friday of his unit at Space Force. I heard about that on Saturday. I immediately took to social media. We got the entire, you know, I guess you call it the, the conservative underground, the silent majority, to go out and as a way of defiance to purchase his book, we, sent, we bought so many copies, Buck, that the book went out of print. They were, couldn't even stock this thing, both the paperback and the hardcover. And then we kept ordering it anyway. We shot it to number one on all of Amazon.com. And I don't mean number one in just, you know, this category, that category. I mean all of Amazon.com. His book is number one. We even got the hardcover to be number five. That's so amazing. That the, the, the poso gets results, guy, by the way, but keep going. What it comes down to is he is a whistleblower. Amazing, Jack, that this is where we are. I, I think that part of this that, that people should really focus in on when they see this story, when they hear about it, is the, the notion that he would be punished for political behavior because of what he said on a podcast about this book, calling out Marxism in the ranks. I mean, is would that apply to calling out jihadism in the ranks with would, would that apply to call you know what are we to say that marxism is something that we can't oppose as americans who recognize the history of this revolutionary ideology and the destruction and the the clear intent at destroying our way of life continuing intent at destroying our way of life i think that's what really strikes people here as being so outrageous hi well, I, I think i said in a tweet at one point that you know, this this actually completely confirms his entire you know argument that Marxism is taking hold of the military. The fact that even by talking about it, you can be relieved of command because you've identified an extremist ideology that's being put forward, but seemingly promoted by higher echelons, of course, political echelons within the Department of Defense. Now, what's really interesting, Buck, is that through my own reporting at One American News, I've been able to discern that. Actually, Secretary Austin was not consulted at any point during this uh, relieving of command. That this was something that was done at, the, at really the Air Force level, and then he found out about it later. So they didn't even discuss it with him. And so that's something that's got Austin uh, a little upset because he. I don't think they realized that how big of an issue this would become, how big it would blow up. Now it's the number one book on Amazon. Now Lohmeyer is going on. He's on the, the interview circuit. He's going around talking about this thing. He said, look, I'm just trying to get rid of extremism in the, in the ranks. I don't want division. I want to go back to work. And now I'm being relieved of command for doing exactly what you told us to do. Speaking of Jack Posobiec, correspondent for One American News Network and Jack, 
you are a Navy veteran, a Naval Intelligence officer, and so you understand how the system works. With Lohmeyer now, is there is there a, a, an appeal process for him? Is this does this go into UCMJ? I mean, what what can what options does he have within the military apparatus to fight back about uh, against what feels like politicized targeting? Yeah, so it, it really is going to depend on a number of factors, obviously. And as you just stated, you know, the military is not held to civilian law. They're held to the UCMJ. Um, and, and in terms of military decisions, that really is their prerogative. Now, that being said, he should, and I I, I would highly encourage him or, or anyone else who's in the military who finds themselves in this position, uh, to seek out civilian counsel to go forward and find uh, a way for him to specifically understand what he's being investigated for, what the charges are, what type of procedures they want to go forward with. Clearly, this is not something that is a, uh, a criminal matter uh, in any way, uh, but it is something where, of course, under Article 134, uh, which is sort of the general order of the UCMJ, for those who know the, uh, the code, um, they could potentially bring him up on something like that. It doesn't seem like they're going to go down that road, though. It seems like more they're going to just say this was a, a loss of judgment uh, or a loss of faith in his judgment as leadership. And so, therefore, it's going to be very, very hard for him. It's a very, obviously, as you can imagine, Space Force is a competitive command to be in right now, a competitive force to be in. Uh, this is something, and I, and I suspect that he knew that speaking up the way he did, that this would be something that would definitely impact his career. Jack, what can you tell us about the Marxism that is infiltrating the United States military's command structure the in in the instruction that people are getting from from dod i mean lohmeyer obviously and, and for everyone listening the book as jack says thanks to in part to jack's efforts here is number one on amazon irresistible revolution marxism's goal of conquest and the unmaking of the american military by lieutenant colonel matthew lohmeyer what are some of the i mean we're, we're going to invite matthew on the show obviously we're trying to track him down if you can help us uh, find him that'd be great what are some of the things that he outlines here and you were in the oh, military sure. yeah, i mean yeah, you know tell us I about talk it to you offline about that buck but uh, about getting in touch with him but um in terms of what he outlines in the force and it's something that we've seen for a long time the left has looked at the united states military as a playground for their social programs and their social projects why because it's uh, hundreds of thousands of people that they hold directly under government sway so they realize that for those who believe in socialism, who adhere to it, they realize that they don't have to go to, you know, there's no, there's no uh, teacher's union for the military, right? There's no secondary uh, oversight board. If you can control the levers of power in the military from the political angle, which is what they've done, you can promote the, promote the generals that you want who will go on board with these programs. This is something that we saw clearly under the Obama administration, and now has been kicked into high gear under Joe Biden. Uh, with the appointing of people like Lloyd Austin, with the appointing of people like Bishop Garrison, who are now going through and conducting what, what he's calling a counter-extremism task force. But what they're really doing is going after people that are calling out the stuff that's coming down, the, these ideas of historical revisionism, talking about the United States being founded in 1619 instead of 1776, talking about our founding documents as if they're uh, perpetuating white supremacy. Every Again, every member of the military swears an oath to defend our founding document, the United States Constitution. So any ideology, right, they are oath-bound. They are duty-bound to defend that document. So these revisionist histories are, are inherently in contention with that oath. 
And I remember Bishop Garrison, and we're speaking to Jack Posobiec of One American News Network. Bishop used to come on my show at, at Hill TV as a guest sometimes. He's a far left-wing guy. I mean, he, he's a left-wing partisan. What is he doing? With, with, with I, I'm not aware of any expertise he has in reorganization of the United States military. He's running some kind of, what is it, counter-radicalization? Or, or is it a diversity council? What, are, what is his? counter-extremism steering board. Essentially, they're putting, we were told, and, and something I reported earlier this year, it started with the National Guard troops that were brought in to the U.S. Capitol during the occupation of D.C. following January 6th, running up through essentially March, uh, through several months of the Biden uh, administration, that they were going to have their social media scoured. Now that program is going out to the entire United States military. And from the documents that I've seen, sources that I've spoken to in the military, this is not looking for what you and I might consider extremism in terms of of, of radical groups or radical Islam, for example, violence, that type of thing. No, this is anti, anti-police you know, brutality, anti-police rhetoric. No, this is talking about uh, Turning Point USA, Young America's Foundation, the membership in the NRA, um, you know, posting Revolutionary War memes, the Gazden flag. I mean, these are some very basic, either pro-America or just your middle-of-the-road conservatism um, that they are now putting in. The, if you're wearing a red MAGA hat, for example, they are now putting that in the bucket of extremism to carry out what is essentially going to be a political purge of our United States military. That So if you have that stuff on your Facebook or on whatever social media platform you have, you've got to take it down or they are going to target you, they're going to find you, they're bringing in software to scour these social media platforms uh, and they're, they're actually talking to, this is in The Intercept, which is a you know, huge left-wing uh, you know, paper. Um, they've got like pro-Antifa articles in there, but they're talking about bringing in uh, AI programs to look after soldiers, airmen, Marines, and sailors, and all of their social media to track them down for quote-unquote keywords that they believe could be extremist. Jack, you know, I, I just checked, it, checked up on it. Bishop Garrison, as I asked you about him, uh, five years as an army officer, and then he did some consulting, consulting. Then Hillary for America, uh, p- foreign policy advisor, and then we get uh, get we get into Biden Harris transition team, and now senior advisor to the Secretary of Defense. Uh, so this is an advisor on a range of issues concerning human capital and yes, diversity, equity, and inclusion throughout the department. This guy's a diversity, equity and inclusion advisor to the secretary of defense, and he's a left wing partisan. I just I bring this up just because, folks, I mean, I've I've had to debate this guy before on TV shows and stuff. You start to get to this is like AOC now or, you know, it's like a far left wing member of Congress who is weighing in on executive branch policy at a place like the DOD. I mean, to make it more progressive, to make it more left wing as an institution. I think people need to understand that. Right. So there's only going to be one ideology. By the way, if you've got stuff up that's about Barack Obama or Joe Biden or Anthony Fauci, the way he's been politicized, um, you'll be fine. You can say whatever you want and you can attack Trump and Trump supporters and conservatives all day long because that's not going to be in these keyword searches. Right. But if you are someone who's conservative, you've got to pipe down. And if you're someone who's an open conservative, they are going to make an example out of you. That's why they're going after Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer. 
the way they are. And you're seeing the way that his generals are not sticking up for him. They're not fighting back against this. They're simply going along with it because, number one, they're terrified of political correctness. And number two, because they're more worried about what types of uh, you know boards of advisors they can get on after they hang up their stars and then go off into the private sector. Jack Posobiec, One America News Network. Jack, always insightful, always engaging, my man. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, man. It looks like uh, uh, the former president is directing uh, who can serve in leadership, and that's not good. Uh, you know, we have many voices in the Republican Party. I, I contrast it or not, I compare it to the view. You have multiple voices representing the view. There's multiple voices that represent the Republican Party today, and we should not de facto make the former president uh, as the guardian of our party or uh, the leader of our party. There's many different voices out there. I want to be one, but Liz Cheney is certainly one. And so we need to be united in uh, in the next election. Uh, we need to win in 2022. And to do that, we've got to come together and we have to come together around principles and not simply a personality. I know you had to listen to that painful uh, piffle, that dribble from Asa Hutchinson, the governor of Arkansas, and you're thinking, why is Buck putting me through this? It's because I want you to know, I want you to be be clear on the fact that there are a whole bunch of establishment GOP uh, rhinos who don't want to fight against the left, don't want to actually embrace the winning ideas and agenda of the Trump movement and keep fixating on Trump the individual as a means of trying to elevate themselves and their own moral stature and their own power within the Republican Party and, and to do so pretending to be selfless when it's an, it's exactly the opposite. It's quite selfish. That's what they're really doing. That's that's the goal here. That's the point of it to advance themselves. And whether it's uh, Asa Hutchinson or Liz Cheney or the little guy from the Congress, uh, Kinzinger, uh, or, you know, I, I think I think Noam lost a whole lot of of credibility among conservatives when it was clear that she caved to corporate interest in her own state and wouldn't would not fight, would not fight for, you know, men, women to be able to play sports without biological men playing on their on their against them or on their team wouldn't fight. And there are there are a lot of people in the GOP for whom they would they would like to find a kind of safety in the consensus of cowards they'd like to take themselves out of the center of the fray and find this this warm safe space where they can oh sure they'll talk you know in a a deep red state they'll talk about how oh we're very pro-life well yeah your state agrees with you i mean being pro-life is certainly incredibly important and i saw that the supreme court has agreed to take up a very important case on mississippi's abortion restriction ban but i'm just saying they're taking safe political issues on issues where they could face real blowback because they've become central to the national political fight. You have some of these GOP members. Asa, Asa Hutchinson's one of them. He was also, just like Noam, unwilling to uh, to fight for women's rights to play sports by gender and not play this nonsense game of there's, there's no biological difference between men and women. He wouldn't fight on that. He went on Tucker Carlson's show in an act of political self-immolation it was it was crazy to watch it and just look he looked like an idiot and a dishonest one at that worse but not much worse than christy gnome who i think you know 
there's just there was always something a little something was off there. Uh, but we have to be aware that we have this within the GOP and they do seek not only leadership roles officially, but they seek to be the ideological strategists of where we go going forward. And they want to take us back to a place where they are important. They matter in the GOP hierarchy and their primary goal is to get those corporate donations and to lose gracefully enough that the New York Times doesn't call them a racist, a bigot or a sexist. NYPD LGBTQ members banned from the pride parade. It's not a headline you'd think you'd you'd see these days, but it's happening. And it all makes sense in the context of the left wing uh, war on police or the propaganda efforts to undermine law enforcement across the country in order to perpetuate a narrative of extreme American racism and also to perpetuate a sense of, of victimhood, which the left and the Democrat Party then translates into political power. There, there's a reason for all of this. We can see it. But let's just first break down what's happening here. This on CNN. Tons of news stories about this. Organizers of the New York City Pride Parade banned the New York Police Department from participating in the annual June parade and related events and moved to reduce their presence on scene. Quote, NYC Pride seeks to create safer spaces for the LGBTQIA plus and BIPOC communities at a time when violence against marginalized groups, specifically BIPOC and trans communities, has continued to escalate. This is according to Heritage of Pride, the nonprofit that plans Pride events. Okay, a few things here. First of all, if you are a little bit overwhelmed by the acronym usage here, just know you're not the only one. Know that it's very understandable that you might have a bit of confusion at LGBTQIA plus BIPOC. BIPOC, I will tell you, and I work in the news and I've read extensively from left-wing CRT and intersectional philosophers stretching back to my time in college when my undergraduate thesis was on critical race theory and campus speech codes. So this, I go back quite a ways, and I will tell you that the acronym BIPOC is a new one for me. So I, I, I just want to note for all of you that this is not, not a situation where you should feel like, oh, wait a second, <laughs> Did I did I miss something that I should have known about? No. BIPOC is uh, is essentially an acronym for people of color. Um, It's it's an acronym that you see black, indigenous and people of color specifically is what BIPOC stands for. I have never seen this before. I've never come across it until now. I mean, maybe I've seen it in recent weeks and I kind of knew what they're talking about. But it's fascinating to watch how the language is just constantly evolving to the point now where it's used as signaling. If you even understand, if you can sit there and talk about LGBTQIA plus plus BIPOC, you're letting everyone know that you are on a certain side of the political spectrum, that you're a leftist, you're a liberal, 
and you want to be viewed as virtuous and good and, and intelligent just by virtue of the fact that you're using those acronyms. But this is just a slap in the face. And I'll tell you, even Bill de Blasio, who is an enormous moron in many ways, even he knows at this stage of the country's, de- I mean, of the city's deterioration, the country's having problems too, thanks Biden. But this stage of deterioration when it comes to crime and the need that we have for more support, not less, of the NYPD, one of the worst mayors in America is out there saying it's really not a good idea to remember this isn't just about uh, the uh, the LGBTQ community within the NYPD being excluded. That's one part of this, but also about marginalizing law enforcement's presence at a major parade, a major gathering. I mean, I, I used to live in Chelsea and I lived on 19th Street right next to where the parade would come down and very close to the West Village and Stonewall and all that. So year after year, I heard pride all day long and it was right in my neighborhood and the whole thing. It's a lot of people. You're going to need some crowd control. You're going to need security. You want everyone to be safe. You know, the same way that no no one's going to say on St. Patty's Day, sacred to a lot of NYPD as well, uh, no one's going to say that we don't want cops showing up to do crowd control on St. Patrick's Day. No, no one's going to say that, right? So what is it with pride? This doesn't make any sense, especially because there's a there's a group within the NYPD that fought for the right to be able to march in the pride parade. So this is this is a mistake on all levels. And it's interesting that even de Blasio, he's right once in a while. See, I call it like it is. This guy's right once in a while. Here he is. The pride folks saying that they really don't want the police groups to be involved in the march and they want the police to stay at least a block away. Um, who are working the march. Uh, kind of stunning to me. What do you think? I'm, uh, look, I fully appreciate the extraordinary history of pride in this city. And, you know, so much meaning, so much history, and I honor what pride has achieved over the years. I think that decision's a mistake. First of all, we have to keep people safe and it's been an incredibly safe, positive event, and we have to be mindful of continuing that. Second of all, you know, I believe in inclusion. And we're talking about one of the issues is officers who are members of the LGBT community wanting to march and express their pride and their solidarity of the community and their desire to keep changing the NYPD and changing the city. That's something I think should be embraced. Even de Blasio recognizes here, even de Blasio can understand that this makes no sense on any level. But you see, BLM, the Black Lives Matter movement in the top of the left wing intersectional hierarchy is 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 absolutely the most powerful, the most potent force right now in intersectional politics that at this point in time, obeying the the dictates of the leftist social justice organizers in BLM, making them happy, uh, doing what they want, is more important than even including members of the LGBT community within that community. You can be cast out merely to make the BLM folks 
happy because it's more important right now to bash and undermine cops for BLM and all the left wing support of it than it is to be inclusive around LGBT issues. Now, I see this. This is why intersectionality is poison and why it's a destructive Marxist philosophy and that there is a racial and and gender and as we see even sexual uh, sexual orientation and identity component to this Marxist separation of people all the time that on this day when we should be saying that anybody who anyone who wants to march in solidarity with or to express their own uh, support for pride shouldn't they be included and shouldn't NYPD officers who are part of goal this gay officers action league shouldn't they be included in the community why should they be cast out I mean, it's a little bit like what you hear sometimes with you know black conservatives black conservatives whether it's Alan West or it was Herman Cain rest in peace or you know Clarence Thomas there are all these black conservatives whose whose place in the black community will be attacked by leftists and so now if you're a police officer are we to think you don't have a place in the LGBT community even though we've come to a place as a society where that's considered a, a, a an essential uh, characteristic of, of someone's who they are and what their identity is what is the left doing here it's just a reminder the left destroys its own the left has no limiting principle about this and it's it is very important that that is remembered um, that you are never safe as a leftist from other leftists so the mob is very powerful but the mob can come for you too libs and it will and it does Rock and roll, fellow patriots. It's time for Roll Call. Producer Mark. Producer Mark. Wherefore art thou, Producer Mark? How you doing, man? Still in New Jersey. Doing well. Not not yet on Long Island. Not on Long Island yet. Don't, Don't ever say in Long Island. Come on. You're going to get there, buddy. It's all going to happen for you. Yeah, it'll happen eventually, I'm sure. It's going to happen. You're going to be good to go. Um, that's exciting stuff, though. You're going to get a dog first or you're going to have a kid first? Uh, unfortunately, um, co-ops have very strict rules and animals are not allowed. No animals? No animals. No cats, even? No anything. Goldfish, though, right? Uh, I mean, I'm sure I could get away with a goldfish, but I'm not petting a goldfish. Yeah, the goldfish does not, they're not cuddly. Yeah. I mean, you can try, but then they die, and that's kind of sad for all involved. I have to say, this is the biggest bummer about buying into a co-op. So for what, uh, co-ops are very New York things. It's basically uh, like a condo, but with very strict rules and more of a pain in the butt. Um, So one of the rules here, and many of them, is that there's no pets. And I really, really wanted a dog. I'm really kind of upset about this. And I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I, I, I get you. You know, I don't have Tallulah the Frenchie as much as I did during the pandemic. She's really with my parents now full time and I miss her and I have to go over there. You know, I, I feel like I'm like the divorced dad that's now visiting. You know, I just go over there and I'm like, I brought you some presents and I, you know, I'm, I'm here for you. And I just came to visit it like my little furry friend is that she she wiggles and squiggles around and gets so excited when I come over there, though, which makes it all worthwhile. So she, you probably bring her like a 
plate of bacon. I could see that. Oh yeah, no, any yeah. any kind of treats I can give her to make her, uh, you know, like me more. It's very important. So, uh, my brothers, uh, my my little brother just got a dog. My older brother has a dog. Um, so there's a lot of dogs now in my family. We got a older brother has a Pomeranian, which he's a great little dude. I mean, he's small, but a lot a lot of personality in a small package. My little brother has a um, a, a Cavapoo, which is a Poodle Cavalier King Charles Spaniel mix, which I had never even heard of before. But she's very cute. She looks like the Muppet known as Animal. Do you know the Muppets? Yes, of course. Right. It looks like Animal a little bit to me, uh, but she's very cute. And then there is uh, beyond that, uh, my parents with the Frenchie. So that's always really fun. So anyway, I love dogs. You'll you'll get one one day, producer Bark. You'll get I, one one day. I hope you, uh, your brothers don't have a dog that look like the Muppets that compete against you. No, no, no. Well, one day people will find producer Mark calls one a one person on in the conservative media space a Muppet because of his high voice and uh, and I I I can neither confirm it's a producer Mark thing. I neither confirm nor deny who he's talking about. That's all I can tell you. I, I'm so. not going to say it's one specific person. There may be one or two, actually, but nonetheless. All right, let's get into this. Cameron, hey, Buck, you do have a mixed bag of topics in your emails at times, but the one about the nudist made me laugh. So does that mean Team Buck shields high or Team Buck naked shields waist high? Have a great weekend. Hey, Cameron, thank you. Um, I, I did not know that we had Team Buck nudists, but they're welcome in the Freedom Hut, absolutely. They certainly know what it is to feel free, if you know what I mean. You know, they let it all all out there. And it's probably very nice. It's probably very nice. I mean, you know, sleeping uh, in the nude is very, apparently there are health benefits to it. And I'm a proponent of it. I think it's probably a good idea. Probably. Uh, So, yeah. Do you have anything to add here, producer Mark? No, I don't think it's safe for me to add anything here. Okay, fair, fair point. Aaron, hey, Buck, just want to get your thoughts on the Colonial Pipeline ransom attack. How can the U.S. government not hold the Russian government accountable for harboring cyber terrorists? Is it similar to, oh, this we did this one yesterday, didn't we? Similar to the Taliban harboring al-Qaeda in Afghanistan? Um, what's the best way to respond? Aaron, I did deal with this one yesterday, but I, I thought about it more. And, you know, there's going to be what the official government response is. And then there's always going to be the unofficial government response, if you catch my drift. And I think that's where you got to. You got to make sure that the the regimes that sponsor this stuff know that they will pay a price where there is still plausible deniability is the key phrase here. And as long as there is plausible deniability, you can get away with doing a whole heck of a lot more in that process. So um, there you go. And next up here, we have Eric Buck. I listen to your show every day. Thank you for your previous service and for your continued service to this country. Uh, I'm a 15-year Marine veteran that, just like you, has once again joined the civilian population. I've become overwhelmingly concerned with the disconnect that most individuals have, specifically when it comes to life outside of the United States. I firmly believe that most Americans have a false sense of security and that they've been misled by mainstream media into believing that the unprecedented acts of the Chinese and Russia can simply not happen here. Newsflash, Libs, it absolutely can. We haven't had foreign war on our soil in a very long time. It's easy to forget that we are 
all lone lambs surrounded by wolves when we are helplessly divided as a nation. That being said, my two questions are, how do we address the current escalating foreign issues without helping the Bi- help from rather the Biden administration? And how do we bring both parties together? Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks again, Shields. Eric, thank you for your service in the Marine Corps. 15 years. God bless. Um, and as for your questions, how do we address the current escalating foreign issues without help from Biden administration? We, we don't, Eric. Is the, that's the real answer. I could give you a kind of a fake answer, but I respect you and this whole audience way too much to ever do that. Uh, it's up to foreign policy is the province of the federal government executive branch, and that is in the hands of the Biden administration. So they're running it. We just get to deal with the consequences. I wish I could say, yes, we can raise the argument and be a part of the public conversation in different ways, but they're they're the deciders, to borrow from Bush. And then how do we bring both parties together? We just keep making the case. We establish control where we can to enact our will where we can and show the good results of our better ideas. We got to be a party about results. We got to be an ideology about making people's lives better, everyone's lives better in America, and just keep on hammering. This is our quest. This is our our mission. So that's why we stay on it. And you know, you've got your orders, team. No matter what happens, we stay shoulder to shoulder, shields high.